In our men's Bible study on early Wednesday morning, I suggested to Pastor Millet that we should include Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in the promised list of all these sermons. So my first real consideration of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 came during my senior year of high school when I was considering whether to accept a scholarship to a private university. On a Sunday evening before the scholarship deadline, I was meeting with a bunch of youth and an Air Force lieutenant who had been teaching us for two months, and he asked me some hard questions. First question was, have you prayed about it? Second question was, have you asked God for guidance? And do you trust God that he has a better plan for you than you have for yourself? And I would have to say, I believe in the gospel, but I've been struggling with who God really is and does he really care about these kinds of decisions? So the lieutenant took me a short review through what he'd been teaching us for the past two months. That included Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And then he asked me, are you ready to pray? And I said, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to ask God for guidance. So he said, well, I'll pray for you. And you have to say amen at the end if you agree with it. He started the prayer, and it was something along the lines of, God wanted me to go to a different university. I would hear from that university early the next day. And I said amen at the end, and what do you think happened? I heard from the Air Force Academy early the next morning. I won't go into all my reactions to that, but I would say this. I kept asking, is it just a coincidence that I heard from the Academy, or did God orchestrate something to lead me to the Academy? Over the next several months, I kept having these periods of awe. But I was thinking, does God really want to lead my life? But also periods of scared and saying, do I really want to let God lead my life? And I really came later to realize the question is sometimes more, do I really want to yield control of my life to God? For the next four years I spent at the academy, I had great training and teaching in military and academics and sports. But the thing that I appreciated the most was the four years of discipleship training I got from a campus ministry put on by the navigators. They taught me what it was like and how to seek God, and how to know God, and how to trust God, and how to experience God and His blessings personally. The concepts summarized by Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 were actually drilled into us over that four-year period. And over many years afterwards, those verses became a focal point or a reference or a rock for making major decisions. Am I willing to trust God and not my own understanding? Am I willing to acknowledge God in all areas of my life so that He will direct my path? I wish I could say that I was perfect in trying to trust Him and answering that question, yes. But in spite of my many, many failures, God never failed to actually lead me. Now, He often led me to places I didn't want to go. And I'd say Washington, D.C. was one of those. But those assignments actually became blessings. There may be some trials, but they were always blessings and always led us to a good church. The second example I would give is that when my son was dying from Guillain-Barre and the doctors told us they had no hope of saving him and he was struggling in the intensive care unit, my wife and I went outside and we were praying and pouring out our hearts to God and just acknowledging he was in control and preparing for his, my son's death. God was already at work. There was a visiting doctor there whose hospital had new technology that could and would save his life and we rushed to that hospital. I could go on with many more examples, both major and minor, but the real focus here really has to be on God Himself. It's His faithfulness, His goodness, His mercy, His authority, and His power to lead and direct our steps for things that are good for us and for His purposes as well. But our trust is so small and frail in comparison to the magnitude of His love and His blessing through all the ups and downs in life. It's just incredibly awesome that God is so worthy of our trust. Welcome everyone. Welcome everyone. <laughs> so good to 
be here with you today, whether you're worshiping with us live in person or you're worshiping with us at home. As has been mentioned multiple times, I think, through the prayer and through some of the announcements, we are beginning today the first of uh, 12 weeks on the promises of God. And I couldn't be more excited about the text or the passage that we are beginning or launching this, uh, this uh, promise series on. We are looking today at perhaps one of the most familiar and best-loved passages in all of Scripture, especially as we were to examine the book of Proverbs. And, and I'm guessing that many of you have memorized these verses in Sunday school. And, uh, and I'm also guessing that some of you may have these verses on a plaque or in your office or your home to remind you regularly of the great truths of these, uh, of these verses. Uh, one of the things that uh, is most interesting as I look at the text here, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it's a strikingly simplicity, the striking simplicity of it, it really preaches itself. And in fact, the simplicity of this, the, the youngest believer, I think, can understand the text here and what it's saying. And yet it brings comfort for those of us who have been walking with uh, Jesus for many, many years. And, and the truths of this text, as I think you'll see, bring tremendous hope and encouragement for Christians in the in-between, the old and the young as well. Turn, if you haven't already, to Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to be looking again at verses 5 and 6. As you are turning to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of the things I love to do to get us all acquainted with the text is to place the passage up onto the screens so that we might uh, together read it out loud. So Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. Would you join me, please, in reading this out loud with me? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. As I began to break down and look and analyze this uh, text, phrase by phrase, I noticed that in the midst of helping his son, that's who Solomon is writing to, to understand the benefits of wisdom, he presents three practical exhortations. And I hope you grabbed a note sheet and you'll record these and think about them with me. But first, if you're taking notes, the command that we see first to his son is trust, trust in the Lord. And as I began thinking about the whole concept of trust, I was recalling and remembering that any meaningful relationship has some level of trust. Uh, it, it, it's the only way, for an example, that a friendship will endure. It is truthfully the only way that a marriage or a family will remain healthy and work out. And churches too, if we really think about it. It's all about trust. Trust in the Lord, however, as we look at it today, takes on an entirely new dimension. As Chris mentioned, our trust is in an eternal, all-powerful, all-wise, and all-loving God. The word trust here is a very interesting word in verse 5 in the original Hebrew. It means to rest one's full weight upon. To rest one's full weight upon. I've started thinking about that example uh, when we go to bed tonight and we want to understand what trusting is. Think about when you, you just climb into bed, don't you? Trusting that that bed will fully support your weight. My grandkids come over and they run and they jump on the bed. It's a miracle they don't collapse. But when I get into bed at my age, I slip in and fall into it many times. But either way, 
We don't give it a second thought when we climb into bed. We don't keep one foot on the floor and one on the bed in case it doesn't support us. We simply trust and put our full weight into that bed. And brothers and sisters in Christ, as we talk today and look at what Scripture says about trusting God, it's taking and, uh, our, and putting our full trust in God to take care of us, putting our full weight on Him. Now that being noted, if you are a Christian today, you've trusted in Christ and God for your salvation. We just talked about it. It's at anchor in the ground, right? That anchor in the ground. But genuinely trusting in God, as we'll look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I believe you're going to see goes beyond that today as we talk about it practically. And the question that jumps off my, my paper here, my page for me, is can you, can I now trust God in every, every detail of the rest of our life? We've been saved, but what about the rest of our life so we serve God? And, and I ask that question because as you look at verse 5 and you see the word heart here, it represents the totality of our inner being. I'm talking about our mind, our emotions, and our will. And God is saying in this text, everything we are, all that we have, must be rested firmly and find our security in the Lord. Partial trust, if you've ever tried it, not only results in unhappiness and a loss of blessing, but also brings very serious consequences to our life as a believer. When I last thought, I was reminded of an actual event that occurred in May, on May 19, 1995. It occurred to a 34-year-old construction worker named Randy Reed. This event occurred to Randy while he was welding on top of a com nearly completed water uh, a water tower outside of Chicago. And apparently he unhooked his safety belt for a moment to reach for some pipes. And as he did that, he lost his balance and he fell 110 feet, landing in a pile face dirt in the, on, on the ground there, just missing rocks and construction debris. Well, a fellow worker saw that he fell, called 911, and to their amazement, when the paramedics showed up, ran, uh, Reed was conscious, he was moving, he was only complaining about a sore back and a few sore ribs. Apparently, this fall did not cause Randy to lose his sense of humor, because as the paramedics put him on the backboard and were carrying him to the ambulance, he had one request. You know what it was? Please don't drop me. Please don't drop me. Now, we chuckle at that. But folks, as I thought about it, Reed's response here, when it comes to the way you and I trust God, often resembles our, our trust in a way that we would rather not admit. When it comes to trusting God, we often re resemble Reed's remark here. You see, it's easy for us as believers to trust God to protect us in those 110 feet falls of life. Yet how often... And I'm speaking for myself here. How often are we not are able, are willing to trust God to get us over or around those daily two-foot hurdles that we face in life? And from these instructions given here in God's Word, we see that when it comes to trusting God with all our heart, it's calling, brothers and sisters in Christ, for an unwavering obedience. It is calling for absolute dependence and complete confidence in, in, in God for everything in our lives. Now, knowing how difficult that is, at least in my own life, this matter of trust, allow me today to present four reasons from our text today as to why we can and we should trust God. 
wholeheartedly. First, we should or we can trust God in this way because he is totally cognizant. Our God is totally cognizant. The word of God in Matthew chapter 6 verse 8 tells us that our heavenly father knows of our needs before we even ask him. I'm thinking too of Isaiah chapter 40 which begins the section in the book where it deals primarily with preparing the people of Judah for their captivity in Babylon. And under the impact of this very uh, difficult prophecy of doom to those Jews who were still trying to serve God faithfully in spite of the rampant sin and the idolatry was happening. They needed encouragement and they needed comfort and they needed assurance. So in verses 27 through 31, the faithful prophet of God shares these great truths about our God that would bring them peace and comfort and security in the before and during and after the captivity. Look at what God says in his words. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right, my justice is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who, might, who lacks might, he increases strength. Even youths, verse 30 says, shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and, they not, and not faint. Observe here how within Isaiah's prophecy, God assures the people of Israel saying, hey, yes, Yes, you are at times going to be surrounded by all manner of unsympathizing hostility. You can count on it. And yes, you may find yourselves tempted to indulge in, in fretful, distrustful spirit, uh, uh, saying something like, God, you've forgotten me, or, or God, you passed by me. But whatever your inadequate emotions and reactions may tell you, God says, I am there for you. I am fully aware of what you're going through, and I'm going to walk through it with you. We can trust in God. We should trust in God because he is fully cognizant of what we walk through every day. Do you believe that? Second, we can and we should trust God because he is genuinely concerned for us. Psalm 55, 22, we're invited to cast our burdens on the Lord and he will sustain us. He will never, listen to that, he will never permit his righteous ones to be moved. Likely thinking about that promise in Psalm 55, 22, I love it. Peter points in 1 Peter 5, 7 to that and he says, cast all your anxieties, all your worries on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Three amazing truths come out of those two verses. First, God declares very clearly and profoundly his ability and his willingness, the creator of the universe, his willingness to be our strength, to be our support mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Second, the phrase he cares for you gives us the motivation behind his promises. Our God is not cold. He's not unfeeling. He's not unreliable. Instead, we see here he's like a loving, tender father whose heart is towards his children. I wrote down when I got to this point, whatever concerns us, whatever concerns you and me, concerns God. And he invites us, third, to cast 
which means to release or to throw our cares and anxieties and worries upon him because he cares for us. So we can and we should trust God because he is genuinely concerned. We can and we should trust God because he is totally cognizant. And third, we can and we should trust God because he is perfectly consistent. We've sung about it so much today. That means that you and I can count on him to do what he says every single time. There's never a doubt. 1 Corinthians 1.9 tells us God is faithful. Listen, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, we're told, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God. Do you hear, do you hear a pattern here? The faithful God who keeps covenants and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And I love 2 Timothy 2, verse 13, where we're likewise assured, even, listen to this, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot. He cannot deny himself. With these thoughts in mind, allow me to add an interjection of concern or, or, or caution here. At least in my own life, um, in spite of the fact that we know intellectually God is faithful. I doubt anybody would deny that today. Or in spite of the fact that we believe in our heart that he's totally capable of handling every problem that comes our way. I think one of the most difficult things for us to do is to relinquish or surrender our control over to him. Especially when we encounter circumstances that are difficult for us to understand. Or, or when we feel like God is directing us to do something that just seems totally illogical to us, which he often does. I heard a story this week about a man, a humorous story I'll add, who one beautiful day was mountain biking, and as he passed along a narrow cliff, he got a little too close and he fell over. And so he grabbed hold of a branch and he was stranded. There was no way up, and there certainly was no way down. So he began screaming, help, help, is there anyone up there who can hear me or help me? And he yelled for hours, and, and just about the time he was ready to give up, he heard this booming voice saying, yes, I can hear you, and yes, I can help you. Now the frantic biker yells back, well, who are you and where are you? And he says, I am the Lord. I am everywhere. Lord, what, what? You know, are, are you talking about God? He says, that's me, the Lord says. I'll do anything, Lord, if you just get me down from here, cried the man. Just, just tell me what to do, I'll do it. Okay, God said, trust me. Let go of the branch, I'll catch you. What? The, the nervous man replied, hoping that maybe he misheard God. God said again, let go of the branch, trust me. After a long pause, according to the story, the man dangling from the branch once again started yelling, help, help, is there anybody else up there to help me? <laughs> I can relate to that story. How about you? That's why repeatedly in God's word we are told, learn to wait on me. Learn to trust me completely. And as we do, it's critical, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we remember that God's ways are often not our ways. And that it's very possible that we may not understand what God is doing in and through those circumstances. Isaiah 55 
8 and 9. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Listen to verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Likewise, in, in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, listen how it describes wisdom. Oh, the depth and the riches and wisdom, the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. And folks, I'm telling you, when we're having a difficult time seeing or understanding the way God is working in our circumstance, we as, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ have to hold on to the promise of Psalm 19.9 where we're told the judgments of the Lord are true. Listen, they are all together righteous. Therefore, to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Hear me. We can't place our right to understand above the right of God to direct our lives the way he sees best. In fact, when we insist on God always making sense with our little infinite, our, our, our finite minds, we are, I'm telling you, we are setting ourselves up for great disappointment. Proverbs 28, 26 warns us, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. So let us not allow ourselves to mistakenly view our not fully comprehending God's ways or timing as his absence. His timing is perfect. His presence is constant. He knows exactly what we can handle and what we can't, and he knows exactly when the proper time to act is. And everything he allows, listen, everything he allows as our loving Heavenly Father in our life is to teach us, to strengthen us, and to bless us. To God, you see, it's not about our comfort, as important as that might be to us. It's about our conformity to Jesus Christ, his son. The bottom line is this. We don't need to figure out everything to know that God is good. The next time you're struggling with trying to comprehend what God is doing in your circumstances, may I encourage you, when you can't see his hand in the circumstances, trust his heart. He's good. He's good. He's trustworthy. Fourth, folks, we can and should trust God because he is completely, hear me, completely capable. I love the benediction in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according, listen, to the power that has at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The words of this benediction are so beautiful, they assure us that nothing, hear me, nothing is too hard are impossible for God. Nothing. They also assure us that he, he, he is completely capable of supplying our every need, even, even, don't miss this, if he chooses to work differently than we expect. And thus, looking back at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, we find Solomon in his instructions to his son, and to all of us, by the way, because they're in God's word, commanding us, hey, listen, believer, trust in the Lord with a total, complete trust. 
And folks, this isn't just an invitation. This isn't just a suggestion to us to accept. This is a command to be obeyed. Which I would add has potentially serious consequences if we are disobedient to it. Jeremiah, so vivid. Chapter 17, 5 through 8. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, who makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Listen, verse 6, for he will be like a bush. Do you got the picture? He will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in a stony wasteland in the wilderness, a land of salt without in heaven. It's got that picture? Now contrast that with verse 7. Blessed, how very blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is, you hear, this, hear the difference? Whose trust is in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when he comes, but his leaves will be green and he will not be anxious. Anybody struggling with anxiousness? His, he will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. It really comes down to this. When it comes to the way you're living and serving Christ today, do you want to look like the, the leafy, green, fruitful tree that's planted by streams of flowing fresh water or a sagebrush in the desert? Where, dear brother and sister in Christ, is your trust? And what are you trusting today? Charles H. Spurgeon, who at one time was one of England's best-known preachers in the 1800s, rightly said, I would recommend you either believe God to the hilt, I love that, or else not believe at all. There is no logical standing between the two. Reading on now in our text, verse 5, we see a second exhortation here to Solomon's son. He says, don't, don't lean on your own, on your own understanding. The verb, uh, the root verb here for lean, very close to resting, you know, to place or to support your entire weight against something. You got the picture? Leaning against something. And practically speaking, looking at our context, I believe what this verse is basically warning us against, which we're so prone to do, becoming self-reliant, forgetting who we serve. The famous preacher D.L. Moody once said, trust in yourself and you are doomed to disappointment. Trust in your friends and they will die and leave you. Trust in your money and, and, and you may have it taken from you. Trust in your reputation. Some slanderous tongue may blast it, but trust in God and you will never be confounded in time or eternity. With this second point, I was reminded of how once a person earns a private pilot's license. They're urged strongly to go on and get an instrument rating to add to their certification. Without that instrument rating, a pilot, rightly so, is restricted to flying only in visually uh, clear conditions. Practically speaking, that means that uh, you won't be able to fly safely in areas that are of low visibility and Anyone who's ever flown knows that those low visibilities can occur at any time during a flight. And so although getting an instrument rating does not guarantee you'll automatically have the ability to fly in all weather conditions, it certainly makes your heart feel a lot safer and enjoy flying. And during instrument rating training, you will practice several hours under what they call the hood uh, with your instructor. 
The hood has one purpose. The hood is meant to teach the pilot that while you're in flight, you must depend on either flying visually or flying with your instruments, but you can't do both. And yet year after year, the most common cause of accidents in small aircrafts is caused by pilots who foolishly try to fly almost IFR and almost VFR. And likewise, as I look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 here, the warning that I see is we cannot trust God and trust ourselves for guidance. One or the other is going to be the leader. If we're leading, God is not. And if God is not leading, we're going to we're going to wander uh, without purpose, and, and we may even crash. Proverbs 14, 12 warns us, saying, There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends, listen to this, are the ways of death. And that brings us to the third exhortation presented here in verse 6. Here we are told, In all your ways acknowledge him. The verb acknowledge here, in this verse, means to know deeply and to know intimately. In the original Greek, it's presented in a command or an imperative, or Hebrew, I'm sorry, we're in the wrong, wrong chapter here. It's the kind of knowledge that comes from personal experience. It means to know someone or something through and through. It describes a deep and intimate trust and intimacy. And therefore, to acknowledge God in all our ways isn't merely a polite tip of our hat to God. Nor is it a few words of grace over a meal, or even a regular attendance at church to let him know, hey, still okay, God, you're doing good. It's way more than that. It's taking our relationship with God to a whole new serious consideration in every detail of all the activities in life. Career, as Chris talked about, schooling, family, hobbies, our health, our children, you name it. It's allowing God to have full access, control, and command and involvement. This is where that surrender comes in. Whoa, it's hard sometimes. And so according to God's word, the kind of life God wants us to live, it begins with trust. It requires, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we don't lean on our own understanding. And it involves acknowledging God in every detail and every facet of our lives. And reading on in verse 6, we see that it ends with an amazing promise. What is that promise? Well, notice it takes the form of a metaphor. And different translations translate it differently. Uh, NIV, he will make your path straight. The King James and the New King James, he shall direct your paths. The New Living Translation, he will show you which path to take. The message, Eugene Peterson, he, he's the one who will keep you on track. The NASB says he will make your path straight. The literal translation here in the Hebrew is he makes straight your paths. God makes straight your paths. Now, what does that mean? Three thoughts. First, all paths, if you think about it, lead to an end, to a destination and to a goal. And as we walk with God, trusting in him, in area, every area of our lives, I believe it gives us a sense and purpose and priority that sets us apart from the rest of the world who don't know him. 
Second, we didn't have time to read the entire book of Proverbs, but in it there's this contrast between the way of the crooked, the crooked path, and the wicked, and the way of wisdom. And practically speaking, when we are walking on God's path, it should, it should mean fewer distractions and less compromises and greater understanding of where we are and where we're going and what God wants in our lives. Proverbs 21, verse 8, tells us the way of the guilty is crooked, but as for the pure, his conduct is upright. And I love Proverbs 4, 26 and 27. Look at verse 26. Ponder. Isn't that awesome? Ponder the path of your feet. Imagine how much pain we'd avoid if we just did that every day. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. These are powerful verses. Third, I think that when it comes to straight paths, it can sometimes mean that God removes. Not always. I don't want to make that promise. Sometimes God can remove those obstacles, thus making the way clear. And we kind of see that in Proverbs 3, 23 and 24, when he says, Then you will walk securely, your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie, listen, 24 is beautiful. Have some insomnia. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your, your sleep will be sweet. And so in summary, the reward of trusting God with all our hearts, not leaning on our own understanding, and acknowledging him in all our ways, I think is more than just a promise of simple guidance. It also seems to indicate the idea of avoiding foolish and costly mistakes. Those unnecessary struggles and distractions that we can get caught up if we're not trusting in God with our which enables us, I believe, to experience that continual progress towards God's appointed goals and objectives in our lives. Like Chris, Holly, as I was preparing for this message, I was reminded I became a believer when I was only six years old. So starting in my teenage years, when I started to get serious about my walk with Christ, whenever I faced a difficult challenge or decision in my life, I would always turn to the concepts here summarized in this passage for godly direction. Over the years, God has etched its simple and profound truth in my mind and in my heart that his wisdom is promised to those, hear me, who look to him, to trust in him, who lean on him, who acknowledge him and rely on him. Listen, fully, fully, not partially, fully. Now, I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge here that according to the scriptures, that we cannot receive that type of wisdom from God apart from a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's where it's got to start. So let me invite you today, if you've never come to the place where you recognize your need for Jesus, to, to place your trust in him today. It is the wisest thing that anyone could do. Only Jesus, you see, is the way, the truth, and the life. No one, it says in Scripture, comes to the Father apart from Him. He alone is able to save you and to keep you. Anchor, continual trust, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, listen, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have, 
have eternal life. In Jesus Christ, our sin debt is paid in full. And when we put our trust in him, that guidance we've been talking about, that love that can never, there's nothing, and I do mean nothing, that can ever separate us from God's heart, God's love, and God's guidance. Even though we encounter all kinds of troubles, struggles, I just made a word, struggles, trials, and challenges and changes in this fallen world that we live in. One thing we can celebrate together today, as we'll do in just a minute in song, one thing remains. Listen, God's love never fails. It never gives up on us, and it never runs out on us. Amen? Father, we thank you as the praise team is making their way up to bring to a close this uh, time of worship together. Lord, I pray that you will guide us as we think about and evaluate the application of today's teaching from your word. Lord, help us all to truly think about what we're trusting in today. Our, 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 the depth of our trust and intimacy with you, Lord, help us, I pray, to help us to take some time to really think about that. What, why are we so worried? Why are we so anxious, Lord? Are we truly trusting you the way you command us here in the scripture? Help us, Lord, to trust in you with all our heart, Forbid, Lord, that we would uh, trust or lean in our own ways, but help us, Lord, to acknowledge you every day so that you, Lord, are the one who can direct our steps and be glorified in them. As we pray this in Christ's name, amen.